It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Coming up on The Tonight Show, financial scandal rocks RTE. Is there some for everyone in the audience? An RTE probe has revealed that former Late Late Show presenter Ryan Tuberty was paid over 300,000 more than publicly declared over several years. Essentially, it's, it's a bombshell. Um, and, you know, I mean, I think they're correct in saying that it's a significant breach of trust. The US Coast Guard says Titan sub-passengers are dead after a catastrophic explosion. We'll bring you the very latest. The debris is consistent with the catastrophic loss of the pressure chamber. Upon this determination, we immediately notified the families. The Taunashta is interrupted by anti-NATO protesters on the opening day of the Forum on International Security Policy in Cork. Do join our conversation online with your comments and your questions. It's hashtag tonight's VMTV. on that big pay scandal at RTE. But first tonight, we go live to news correspondent Will Denislow in New York because the US Coast Guard says all five people on the missing Titan sub have died after a catastrophic explosion. Uh, Will, how did they come to this conclusion? Absolutely. Well, we've heard in a press conference from the Coast Guard saying that a rover, an ROV, a remote operating vehicle, was uh, operating and working close to the wreckage of the Titanic where it found a piece of debris, uh, believed to be the nose cap from the Titan. It then discovered a field of degree, uh, debris, finding around five pieces uh, of the Titan. It said uh, that essentially on some investigations that showed an indicated was a catastrophic um, loss of cabin pressure. Um, and of course, it's upon that determination that the Coast Guard and search and rescue operators found it was appropriate to then notify the five uh, families impacted uh, directly by the loss of life of those five on board and to essentially move this from a search and rescue operation into a wider investigation into what exactly transpired uh, for uh, the Titan to undergo this catastrophic event, as the Coast Guard describes it. And are we any closer to learning what caused that explosion? That'll be very much a subject to investigation, of course. It's very difficult to find elements of the debris. We've know that we're incredibly early on in this investigation. All resources over the past few days have very much been on search and rescue. 
What we do know though is that these few pieces of debris, this field of debris, has been discovered around 1,600 feet or so from the wreckage of the Titanic. It will then be the uh, job of these investigation authorities to go through trying to collect samples from this debris to try and see what happened already from these preliminary investigations. They found that it seems that there was a catastrophic loss of cabin pressure but what exactly caused that catastrophe? Well, that will certainly be a one that will continue to be looked into uh, going forward. Right. Uh, well, Dennis Law, thank you for bringing us the very latest on that story. And we will return to that a little later in the programme. Now, RTE has been rocked by a financial scandal after admitting that its highest paid star, Ryan Tuberty, received hundreds of thousands of euro in secret payments. The National Public Service broadcaster has confirmed the presenter received over €300,000 more than it publicly declared over a six-year period, at a time when his official earnings were between €450,000 and and a half million euro a year. Ryan Tuberty recently stood down as the presenter of The Late Late Show after 14 years at the helm. In a statement, Mr Tuberty said he can't shed any light on the payments, while the chair of the RTE board says he will not be presenting his radio show tomorrow. I think staff are very angry. Uh, RTE is a public service broadcaster. It is dual funded. Commercial arrangements are part and parcel of the business of uh, RTE. But undisclosed payments are unforgivable and these payments were made at a time when RTE were engaged in negotiations with trade unions. We were supposed to know the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth and now we find that there were secret deals and we don't know who sanctioned those deals. Well, here to discuss how this may impact the national broadcaster is journalist Emmett Ryan, News Talk Breakfast's Shane Coleman, Fianna Fáil Senator and Spokesperson on Media, Shane Cashels, Sinn Féin TD and Chairperson of the Public Accounts Committee, Brian Stanley, and WLR broadcaster, Damien Tiernan. We did, of course, ask RTE for a spokesperson this evening, but we didn't get any response. Shane, I'm going to come to you first because I think it's important that we put this story in context. This is from 2017 uh, onwards. This is at a time when the RTE board would have said that the national broadcaster was fighting for survival. They were recording for the majority of that period quite significant losses. Yeah, and they were uh, conducting quite a, an intensive campaign for more uh, public funding. You also had the pandemic hitting in, what was it, 2020. And at that stage, Orti, like every business in the country, were under serious financial difficulties. They actually promised at that point, I think I'm right in saying, that they would reduce the pay of their top 10 presenters by 15%. And based on the public uh, published figures that came out shortly after that period, it seemed that Ryan Tuberty's pay had been cut by a, around 11%. Not quite to 15%, but, you know, it, it, it was a sizable cut. They were also talking at that time as part of this sort of cost-saving effort about reducing salaries for other staff yeah. members and potentially redundancies and staff cuts. Yeah, it, was, was, it was really serious. It was really serious. And you heard Seamus Dooley at the NUJ talking about it and you could hear how kind of angry he <laughs> is about the whole situation uh, because it's now emerged that uh, that the the pay cut Ryan Tuberty took uh, was more of the order of about 5.5%, not 11%. So about a third 
of the 15% that had been promised. And as you quietly point out, the context, the backdrop to all of this was a company uh, that was in pretty serious financial difficulties and was saying one thing publicly about what needed to be done uh, to address that, but doing something very different uh, privately in terms of its negotiations with, to be fair, it's you know, best known, uh, best known broadcaster. Okay, so bring us through what we understand was agreed uh, in terms of the payment to Ray and Tuberty Emmett, because it is fairly complicated. It's complicated, and it turned out to be complicated even for RTE when they were going in with this investigation. So it was during, they say, the audit of their accounts in March, they noticed this anomaly in terms of how the salary was being assigned for Ryan Tuberty. So they called in Grant Thornton for an investigation. It was based on a payment he was meant to get from a, a sponsor, essentially, for, uh, for his shows, which would be about 75000 a year, but RTE was going to underwrite it in case the sponsor opted to not renew it, which after one year, the sponsor did opt to not renew. So RTE agreed to pay 75000 a year for each of those two years. The thing was, the method involved, which is their barter account, as they were calling it, essentially was coming from money that wasn't under the auspices of the broader finance team within RTE. It seemed to be with the commercial team, more, moreover. And so this is more used when it came to sort of trading sort of product for ads is a typical thing. It's pretty common in the media for there to be trade-offs of not direct financial transactions, but values to be put on them therein. In this case, there was a direct financial compensation to Tuberty put in there, which didn't show up in the accounting. So over the course of six years, it amounts to about €326,000. And there was another 18000 19000 this year, which is why the number 345 was going around today. But it's more complicated again than that, uh, because of the money that's been shown up, it's not just these two 75000 over the last two years that have turned out to be problematic. For three years, which weren't even initially being looked at, 2017 to 2019, there was €120,000 paid more to Tuberty than was reported that he was paid. paid. So it was 20000 2017 more, 50000 each 2018 and 19, and in 2020 it was about 56000 as well. And again, underreported each of those six years. Yeah, and just to be clear, uh, RTE publishes the salaries of its top 10 presenters every couple of years. Mm. It gets huge media coverage and media organisations, I was looking back today in you know, 2018, 19, 20, whenever they were reporting on these, led with stories that RTE stars, including Ryan Tuberty, had taken these very significant pay cuts. And they hadn't. And they hadn't. And of course, now the questions are, what about the other people in those top 10 lists? RTE has said its own internal investigation has found nobody else's uh, salaries were underreported, though they are also retaining Grant Thornton to double check those figures to make sure that's accurate. So we still don't know, obviously, until Grant Thornton continues this part of the investigation, if those numbers are accurate. RTE at the moment is saying, as far as they're aware, they've accurately reported over the same six-year period, the salaries of the other people who appeared in those top 10 on-air presenter lists. Okay, and you mentioned the two 75,000 figures, that's 150,000 that was in this barter account. But RTE also said that as part of this barter account, the overall cost to RTE from this account was 230,000. So an additional 80,000 that is inclusive of fees incurred. So we're not quite sure where those fees went either, are we at this point? We don't. And again, it's just, it's getting more and more complicated as we go on. It's been, we only even learned this story this afternoon and it's already getting more complicated as to where exactly, you know, was some of this money coming from? Because again, even Grant Thornton, when they were called in, they were just looking at those two numbers. We've seen numbers for like 2017, 18, 19 and 20 now come up, which again, we're kind of going, where are they coming from? And of course, now we've got these additional fees on top of what we understood only a couple of hours ago to only be 150 grand. Just to be clear, 150 grand is a lot of money to anyone at this table. But like, you know, it turns out now it's 230 grand, which is an awful lot more again. 
Yeah, I suppose, look, it's all very complicated. There's loads of figures going around there in barter accounts and these kind of terms. But the crux of this, Shane, is that RTE understated the salary that they were giving to the public for a significant period of time. Absolutely. I think if this was a television programme, well, today is day one of it. It's going to be a saga. And the reality is, is that now for a number of years during this particular term of the doll, uh, we've had RT before us at the Media Committee consistently coming in, consistently stating that they are underfunded, consistently stated that they needed reform of the licence fee and reform of the funding system. Well, one thing is for sure that they got right. You certainly need reform of a financial system where you've got a situation where you've got a bartering account in place that isn't under the auspice of their own financial department, where you've got agents potentially uh, negotiating uh, extra payments for their stars and the full figures not being put into the public domain. So one thing is for sure, we need reform of that financial system and that needs a complete overhaul. My thoughts are with the rank and file journalists of RTE, who Seamus Dooley spoke about there. Because when you have a scenario where the NUJ was fighting hard to retain staff, a lot of it's staff behind the cameras to make sure who are only on a small fraction, not even the full amount of these payments, wouldn't even, they wouldn't even know the colour of that money. And I'd say they're feeling maybe very, very peeved tonight and very, very angry for them and their colleagues as well. Uh, and what I think questions it's have you got for RTE at this point? Well, there's a lot of key questions. So one, why were RTE involved with a commercial uh, partner to begin with? And why were they underwriting deals for... If, if Ryan Turbidy is an individual, you know, has a company set up and he wants to do his own deals, so well and good be it. But why were RTE underwriting deals with a commercial partner in that respect? Secondly, we've had RTE before us before at the committee talking about uh, their cost-saving measures. Uh, the reality is here, Ryan Tuberty has ended up on more money, not less, at the end of this particular process. What other deals are in place? We've just got a new host of the Late Late as well. What were the negotiating scenarios there for the new host coming in? So we have the questions to answer there about, around that as well. And thirdly, in terms of the bartering account, when I heard about that term this afternoon, my mind was immediately thrown back to the last term when I was a member of the Public Accounts Committee and we had the Garda Training College in Temple Moor before us. When we started out on that particular one, it was one or two accounts. By the end, my God, there was more bank accounts than there yeah. were guards. I know, so, but I mean, to, we, to be clear, it was a barter account is a, is a common enough practice it is, in but, advertising but, but, and marketing. Not, it's not really unusual not or the, unlawful about not that. Not if the accountants don't know what's going on in it. And this was the whole point when I mentioned Temple Moor is that nobody knew what was going on and those checkbooks and those accounts, we could have something very similar here. As I said, this is only day one of what I think is going to be a saga. OK, let's look at Ryan Tuberty himself because he did put out a lengthy uh, statement this afternoon. He said, like many people, I'm surprised by the announcements made in RT's statement today regarding the errors in the reporting. It's unfortunate that these errors were made in relation to how RTE report these payments, but I want to be clear. This is a matter for RTE. I have no involvement in RTE's internal accounting treatment or its declarations. Obviously, I'm disappointed to be at the centre of the story, but I cannot shed any light on why RTE treated these payments in the way that they did, nor can I answer for their mistakes in this regard. So he is putting the blame squarely at RTE. Well, I think that RTE obviously are the paymaster. So, I mean, they, both sides here, knew that the figures that were in the public domain were wrong. So let's, I think that's a bit... I just don't buy that from Ryan in the context that both sides, when they see, as you said, the media coverage, it's front page news, both sides knew the figures were wrong. And I think that both sides need to be honest here. And I think that the, the statement by the chairperson of the RT board this evening saying that the board of directors themselves were left in the dark here, I think it needs a full overhaul. And I think there's, as I said, there's a lot more questions to be answered here. Who did the deal? I suppose that is, that's the other question. You mentioned three questions. That's, for me, that's the big question. 
who did the deal and on what basis did they do the deal? Yeah, OK. Uh, Brian Stanley, um, do you think, given the fact that there is these extra payments in here, there's extra 80,000 in this uh, barter account that RT also needs to perhaps review their commercial agreements that involve their on-air stars and perhaps the agreements they have with third-party agents? Absolutely. I think that what, what we have seen today is... Um, it's something that that you know that you would expect to see in some kind of a dodgy backstreet operation, uh, whereas we're actually talking about the national broadcaster here. Uh, it's not creative accountancy; it's actually fraud. I would I would go I as don't far. Know. I Can you actually cause it? Is there well, anything illegal in this? Well, I don't well, know if there well, is, to well be deliberately, fair. deliberately, deliberately concealing figures, deliberately concealing figures. We have here the figures that were published today in relation to the pay levels. Uh, we had the Secretary General before the Public Accounts Committee on a number of occasions in the past three years. We were we were assured that that uh, salaries were being cut. We find out now that there was actually not alone were they not cut, but there was actually extra payments of twenty thousand, fifty thousand, fifty thousand, fifty six thousand, and two seventy five thousand over that period of time. Uh, that's the, that is deliberately misleading. Uh, the fact that that has happened, yeah. the fact that we didn't know about that. I don't know of any other name for it, but I, I feel I was like. And just, I suppose to be clear, I, to be I, clear, the chairperson was on uh, 6-1 this evening. She said the board had no knowledge no, no, accept that. of this. And as soon as they got I knowledge, that. they reacted But I think quickly. the former Secretary-General needs to come back off what it is and explain, explain herself. Uh, she was certainly before the Public Accounts Committee. And my understanding is that she's in the employment of RTE until the 10th of July. She was in front of the committee and I questioned her about this on a number of occasions. So that's back to and, the question, was and it it's not, and it's not the first time. just who knew what, it's not who the first time that, on this? It's not the first time, as the Public Accounts Committee, it's not the first time information was withheld from us. During the previous meeting about two years ago, the question of, of a deal with revenue, were, they were questioned about that by, by the committee and they deliberately, deliberately withheld the information from the committee right up to the very last until they finally answered the question to me in relation to the 1.2 million deal done with revenue regarding uh, regarding okay, payments. You did ultimately get that so, uh, information. So I want to go to Damien here because I think it's one of the guests here on this. A lot here of sympathy, I suppose, to the staff, to wider staff. There, you're formerly of RTE, Damien. I'm sure you're still are friends and ex-colleagues within the organisation. How are they feeling about this? I spoke with a lot of them today. They're livid. They're angry. They're sad. They want to know a lot of the answers to the questions that have been put as well tonight. I think it's very important to say that there's a lot more to this and we want to know who's going to take responsibility for this. It's very important and I don't think this distinction has been made yet in discussion. RT management will be crucified over this and rightly so. And I stress RT management because they were doing a commercial deal. See, it's, a, it's, it's an odd organisation, RTE, because that has a commercial arm and it has a public service arm. And sometimes the two don't talk to each other as much as they should. So Ryan Tuberty believes he did nothing wrong with this. Now, I think Tuberty's statement, he needs to clarify it a bit more because when the yearly payments were coming out and he knew he was getting more than what was being disclosed, himself or his agent should have said, by the way, lads, if this comes out at any stage, we just want to clarify that. But he thought he was doing nothing wrong. So let's take Ryan Tuberty at his word on this. Okay, and just to be now, clear, just to be clear, you mentioned his agent there, his agent also, NK Management, put out a statement today that these That's payments right. were being properly and lawfully due. These issues are solely concerned with Orty's internal accounting treatment and public declarations in respect of such lawful 
payments. To be clear, that's absolutely, what their is. and that's why it's careful how this argument is posed. And we don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater on this. Like RT is a very important organisation. RT News, RT Sports, Current Affairs, held in very, very high esteem. And there will be some people out there that will use this to tar everybody in RTE with a, a cloud. This is specifically RT management that have questions to answer. And let's get to the brass tacks on this. The RT board came out with a statement today and the chairperson went on the telly and she said, we didn't know anything about it, okay? There is an RT executive board. They're the people that need to answer the questions on this. The head of that executive board is Dee Forbes. She does need to come back from holidays, wherever she is, and answer questions on this. She is also chairperson of the RT board. So we need to know. We don't know if it was her who signed off on it, but somebody signed off on it. And I'll tell you a little bit more. You're talking about the 75,000 and the deal that was done with the commercial body regarding appearances. In 2020, COVID happened. So you'll presume that the appearances and the deal that was agreed with Ryan Tuberty making public appearances wasn't going to go ahead. Well, we don't know, I suppose, period. Damien. We, no, we don't know no, anything about that at the important. moment. That's speculation. This I just want to speak to you, Damien, about the reputational damage. Tell me about the, the breach of trust that you think viewers who watch RTE and who trust the national broadcaster will feel when they hear this story. Well... An RTE manager put out a statement today basically saying there's a difficult day ahead for RTE staff, for, for us. It will be difficult for staff. And if I was a correspondent reporting for RTE, I'd feel it. I'd feel it from the public. But I would constantly say this has nothing to do with the staff. The staff have been subject to massive cuts over the years. There's been bogus um, employment contracts for many staff. There's lots of issues there while this is going on. They're furious with RT management. And that's why the RT executive needs to come out and say what they are doing on this. Because okay. unless they do that, there's going to be serious questions. But certainly at the minute, they're hurting really, really badly. And they feel really let down by the RTE management. Uh, Emma, the chair did say today that, you know, there will be accountability here. That was the assurance that she made. And as I said, we did invite her onto the programme today, but she wasn't available. We didn't get a response. What do you think that is going to look like? Well, it feels a bit late for there to be accountability because there's clear governance questions here because everything we've been hearing from RTE implies that, like, no one's really sure who knew what. The board is very clearly saying, well, we didn't know about this. Well, then who did? And if you didn't know, more importantly, why on earth was there a procedure in place where there's money being moved around, significant amounts of it as well, by RTE, and there isn't full transparency and visibility of where that money is going? Is that how they rebuild trust, do you think? Because trust has invariably been damaged here by coming clean, full transparency? Well, of course, they have to come clean. And uh, we do have to know who is responsible for this, who organised it, whose idea was it, uh, who else knew about this, uh, you know, uh, why was it concealed for such a period of time? And, you know, why was why was the Public Accounts Committee and other Oireachtas committees misled about this? But I do think that it's very important what the Speaker said there from RTE, former employee, as I understand it, that, you know, that they are, I spoke to people in RTE today, you know, who are very, very angry about this. And the context that this happened, and you mentioned the context at the start of it, we have brought, the, we've brought RTE a number of times before the Public Accounts Committee because of the shaky financial situation at the station. And, you know, you've had, you've had pay cuts, you've had staff cuts, you've you've had workers misclassified, you've had five over the last six years to run a, a deficit, uh, their income is down 100 million in six years, the costs are up 30 million, borrowing has hit 95 million, the upper limit is 100 million, and they've sold off the family silver, All right. the piece of land. So what I'm saying is, is that that's the context that this happened in. 
uh, and at the same time as this is happening, we have this deal that was concealed, deliberately okay. concealed, I believe. Okay, and Brian. we were misled and we were we didn't get the truth on, uh, in regard to this. And, and they there was plenty, there's been there was plenty of opportunities for D4 to do it and she didn't do it. For give RTs us the truth. calls for additional funding. Yeah, and, that, and that's the key point. So that's the... When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Context in which it happened. Here's the context in where we're going. So only just a short while ago, we had the head of finance and senior management from RT before us at media committee and sitting beside them with the senior management from Virgin Television. Virgin Television were going, hey guys, we're getting a raw deal here. These guys are getting X amount of million to, to conduct public service broadcasting, but also obviously have the benefit of the commercial arm, as Damien spoke about as well. So it does, considering that we're moving into a scenario of doing a full analysis of how public service broadcasting and media in general is funded into the future, it, it, it is not a good day for the national broadcaster in that respect. OK, and finally, Shane Coleman, uh, I suppose as a broadcaster, we've heard that Ryan Tuberty is not going to present uh, the programme tomorrow, his yeah. radio programme at nine o'clock, and that next week's programme will be sort of an editorial decision. We don't know, yeah. So what do you think is going to happen here? I, I, it's impossible to know, it really is. I mean, trust is the key thing here. Trust has been broken. And I know, I mean, I know from talking to RT producers and stuff, that is something they take incredibly seriously. They know their role as a public service broadcaster. I, at times, I think they walk on eggshells almost too much about that, but I kind of respect the way they do that, and I think it's, it's important. That trust has been shattered. Yeah, and it's very much, I suppose, a feature of... The Late Late Show, it was very much a feature, I think, of Ryan Tuberty's own radio programme, that there was this relationship with members of the public. Yeah, I mean, it's something that Ryan very much has traded on, and I think quite genuinely. I think it's something he feels uh, very genuine, and I think we saw it particularly during the, the coronavirus, um, during COVID. I think we saw that kind of relationship there. But there is a, there's a trust issue, there's a transparency issue. There's a credibility issue and it is going to take a long time to rebuild it. And to go back to something you said earlier on, the only way they can rebuild it is to come out and say, open house, we are, we are, we're getting all of this out here. We're not hiding anything. We're going to reveal everything. And that is the first step and that has to happen. Okay, and are they going to have to wait to come before one of the public accounts committee or the media committee to do that? Well, uh, yeah, I mean, again, again, it's tricky because they are a public service broadcaster. Is there a process to have to go through? Uh, Brian might think so. So may, uh, maybe the, the public uh, accounts committee is the obvious place to yeah, do it. Yeah, I think it. they've been called in front of I've both. Taken, I've taken that point on board today and have requested uh, that the committee seek uh, a, a thorough examination of this by the PSE, by the Public Accounts Committee. Uh, you know, there's, uh, there's All right. okay, we're huge, going to have huge public funds going there and we need accountability. 
Yeah, okay, we're going to have to leave there. My thanks to Shane Cashels uh, and Brian for coming in this evening. Shane Coleman and Emmett are going to be staying with me. And on the way, more on the tragic deaths of the passengers on the Titan sub. Do stay with us. Ryan and Shane Coleman have stayed with me and they are joined by pharmacist and former Fine Gael TD, Kate O'Connell, and the former director of the Irish Coast Guard, Chris Reynolds. You're both very welcome to the programme. Chris, I'm going to come to you first. And that very sad news, the news that nobody wanted to hear, which was that there has been a catastrophic explosion mm. and the five crew on board Titan are dead. Will the search for their bodies now continue? And what are the chances, I suppose, of those bodies being recovered? Well, it very much depends on what depth the uh, implosion took place. And no one has talked yet about uh, doing the calculations you need to do about the size of the debris field and the time they lost uh, contact compared to the time they should be at the seabed. So it very much depends on where that explosion implosion took place and the width of the debris field. It will make it a little more difficult, but they should be able to find the remains of the five. Now, whether they're in a position to recover those five is a different uh, issue. When would you imagine this explosion took place? Because I'd imagine this will be something that will be at the forefront of the family's mind. Were they there for a day, two days, three days? Or is it likely that it exploded on the way down to the Titanic? Oh, it certainly imploded on the way down to the Titanic. Certainly. From day one, it was pretty clear what had happened. Because there was loss of communications on the way down, the scenarios are being put out about being on the surface, being trapped in the wreck, even though I repeated them as well, we knew we were wrong. Uh, because the comms aerial is at the tail of the, uh, sub of the submersible. So basically the tail would have, to get, have got stuck into the Titanic and knocked off and it got stuck at the same time which is not really a realistic concept. So we knew it imploded pretty much on the way down. And the question is, how deep? It was at the seabed or close to the seabed and it imploded? Well, that's one set of questions you'd have. If it imploded well above the seabed, there's a lot more questions. Yeah, I suppose though, Shane, the biggest question is why did this implode? This is not the first sub to have gone down to no. the Titanic and all others have made it back up to the surface safely. Yeah. Why did this one not? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sure Chris maybe has, has uh, much more expert theories than, uh, on, on that whole matter than me. But, but I suppose I'm, there's been so many questions about this particular company yeah, and whether I or mean, not they adhere to safety regulations. Do they work corners cut? Uh, there's also, I think, question marks, uh, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, about the communication that happened after communication was lost and how quick they were to actually communicate with the, the coastal services, which, which does raise really serious questions. But, I mean, look, what happened was obviously horrendous. The loss of life is horrendous, but I suspect we are going to see, and again, Chris, you might correct me on this, but I suspect we're going to see things getting particularly ugly 
in a legal sense as well after this. This is... Um, because somebody is going to have to take responsibility for the deaths of five people. I understand, of course, that they yeah. sign a waiver, that they accept that there is huge risks and danger involved. Massive risks. You've got to but also assume that, that everything is done to ensure uh, their There safety. will always be risks, but were all those risks covered as, as best as possible? I see videos emerging, old videos of the CEO talking about the materials that were used in the submersible saying, we shouldn't use these materials, but I have, because kind of that's the way I roll. And that's fine when everything is going well, but when something horrendous like this happens, then those questions are And it's are also raised. a natural question of how well informed were the passengers of what they were signing off on. Because I'm thinking of the 19-year-old young man who was there with his father, and I'm pretty certain, like his dad told him, these things are going to be safe, and why would you question him when your dad's a successful businessman? You're like 19, your whole life's ahead of you. So I'm sure he would have been signing off without being anywhere near fully informed, but feeling the reassurance, thinking, well, no one's going to send something down that surely hasn't been tested to the absolute nth degree. Whereas, of course, as Chris has already shown, these accidents can truly happen. Um, I suppose the one thing I think we've heard is, look, this is an international waters. Mm. It's not regulated. And how do you regulate that, Chris? Uh, well, a... well, money, I suppose, and, and, you know, it has been a feature of this story, the, the vast sums of money that were paid um, and the vast sums of money that these individuals all had. Well, money always to curious space and a way around these very risky activities. Well, no, there's a thing called Lex Fora, and that's the what jurisdiction grabs the case. So which jurisdiction in the world is responsible now for this case? So you have this submersible that has no flag, has no registration, is stateless. So who then does the investigation? And what country do the courts take hold of the cases? And who has to stand up in, in court and explain? And this comes down to international law. So it's either going to be the nationality of the owner of the vessel, are the flag of the vessel that launched it. And this is where the first fight will take place. Yeah, did they act irresponsibly, do you think, Kate, going down? Well, I suppose it's a, a niche area and I don't think you can get into the mind of someone that's in that position. I do feel sorry for the 19-year-old. I can't see how at, at that point in, in time in your life you could make a decision like that. Also, I think you have to consider the huge cost of the mission to go out and rescue them. And was there... You know, was there a need for that? Was it known that perhaps it, it happened on the way down? It sounded from international news just before I came on that it, it was early on on the mission, they're initially saying anyway. Um, but the cost and the, the, the potential loss of life in the rescue mission as well. And there is an expectation of regulation these days. So, you know, has that was that bypassed? Was And, and I suppose, you know, what's the knock-on effects to other industries? I did see also in international news tonight an awful lot of companies coming out with how safe my vessel is compared to this vessel. So that's, I suppose, where you're at now. But it's catastrophic, I suppose, for the family in terms of watching this play out in the public, you know. And right having in, all of that hope And the whole world. And then also, I think we have to examine ourselves in terms of our fascination with this. I'm, I have been engrossed in it for, since it I started. Think, I think, honestly, most people have. Yeah, and, it's, and then, you know, when we see what happened in the Mediterranean, I know it's a bigger social argument, but, you know, like, <laughs> but it's it fair. really it is. It was a fair comparison, I think, to draw. I mean, we spoke about it. Yeah, it's not, really, not fair. Really I'm, I'm not sure it's it really is. Sad. No, it's really sad. I disagree. I, I think we, I think we all have to examine. I think we have to examine you know, why we're so fascinated. I know what's rare and so distant from it and the financial aspect of it as well as the niche sport, for want of a better word. And I know there's a benefit in terms of exploration, but still, you know. 
the, the tragedy okay. in, of the Greek coast did not receive yeah. the same coverage. Yeah. Why do you disagree, Chris? Okay, well, I was talking about the Tunisian tragedy rather than the Greek tragedy, yes. but it's yes. the same concept. So the concept is you have a search and rescue incident happening in the, in the search and rescue zone of both Canada and the United States. They're legally bound to respond and to try to rescue and save life. That is their responsibility under international law. So they cannot not try to rescue. They're bound to do it. And they did the best. I don't think anyone's suggesting that. Okay, okay, I understand. Then you take the Tunisian issue, the Tunisian issue where there was a a boat sank shortly outside the port. What the law there is, is Tunisia Coast Guard is meant to stop that. Tunisia Coast Guard is meant to take responsibility for not stopping that. It's not the problem of another state. It is the host state. And, okay, spent, and I think I suppose we're talking about suppose, is the bigger picture here, which well, is the, the media pro- and the public the response. And our own attention. And our own response. I don't disagree with what you're saying at all, Kate. I suppose the, the only point I would make in mitigation is there was a particular horror at the idea that we all thought that they were down there in this mm, tiny alive. little vessel, alive, and terrified, in the darkness, knowing their oxygen was running out. And I think it was like being in a you know, being buried alive or something. Mm-hmm. It just, it was that appalling scenario that I think... sensitivity. Yeah, I, I think, but but I think the point you make is a, is, a, is a good one. We do have to examine our consciences. All right, look, I want to uh, move on to another major story this morning, the Tanishta being interrupted by protesters at the opening of the Consultative Forum on International Security Policy in Cork. Just take a look at this. Shane, uh, that's some of the protesters today. At the first day of the conference, I heard one of them being interviewed. I think it was on News Talk this afternoon. And I would assume those protests are going to continue over the next yeah. couple of days. You feel that the president and the criticism in the Business Post last week may have legitimised some of these protests? Oh, but is that a bad thing? No, well, no. I mean, I don't think protest is ever a particularly bad thing. And I think, look, we're very fortunate, uh, unlike countries who are not in the West, uh, to uh, countries like... Cuba, for example, which the president has been uh, in the past quite uh, uh, quite quick to praise. We are very fortunate we live in a country where protest uh, is allowed and encouraged. So, look, I don't think what happened today was a disaster by any means. I think it's a little bit unseemly. I don't like the idea of people being heckled and shouted down. It wouldn't be something I would like to see, but it's happened and so on. I, I, I think the president, what he certainly did was raised the profile of, of this event. I'm not sure the greater public were remotely aware uh, that this was happening. Would there have been that level of protest had the president not given the interview to Emmett's newspaper, the Business Post, uh, at, at the weekend? I suspect there wouldn't have been uh, that that level of uh, of protest. Personally, I think Michael D. Higgins went too far. I think he did cross the line. I know politicians can't say that. There, there wasn't one politician willing Be- to come out and say that. Because they week. can't. Because, because it's a his... battle that they cannot win. And we going back to Carol O'Dolly in 1976 and thundering disgrace. They know if you go to war with the president, you will lose. And, and it's I, also unseemly to go to war with the president. Well, it's unseemly, but but. Uh, what I find a little bit unfair is the, the president has absolutely knows that and is still quite happy to stick the boot in, in the other direction, knowing that they can't come back. Well, at the yeah. same time, the Tornister today was saying, well, this is going to stifle debate. And at the same time, it's kind of going, well, hang on, like one is a college. Uh, there's plenty of debates there to begin with. You're going to get protests at a college, but also if you're going to complain about stifling debate at a college, maybe look at sort of the panels you're, you're having yourself because 
broadly speaking, like, you know, it was one of the issues that Lorna Bogue, I know who was thrown out of it, a local councillor in court brought up, was she was arguing that there wasn't really a true debate because you had people from all one perspective on these panels. Mm. So if, But I know, think I think what the point is that made, well. would you agree, Chris, that this wasn't meant to be a debate, and it certainly wasn't a debate on neutrality. This was sort of like an information mm. session. I completely agree. Like, I, I, my last six years, six and a half years, I spent in Africa and Somalia as the basically force commander of a European mission to set up a Coast Guard for Somalia and fight terrorism. So what this story we're looking at is not about neutrality. It's not about NATO. They're, they're not on the table. What's well, on well the they table? are, but they are on the agenda. But they, I know, but they're not they really are. on the table. What's on the table is how do we capacitate our forces, whether they're rule of law forces, police forces, military forces, to be better? And how do we secure Europe's borders? in doing so, and that is the European foreign, uh, common foreign security policy. And that's where we need to go in the debate. NATO and neutrality is a sideshow kicked up to change the, uh, the, the temperature in the debate which it shouldn't go to. All right, look, I want to leave it there for now. My thanks to uh, Kristen Reynolds for joining us. Plenty more still to come with our panel, including has pride become over-commercialised? And we talk about the billionaire cage fight that nobody asked for. Stay right here. Emmett are still with me. Kate, to you first, a survey this week that showed 44% of people have experienced a medication shortage. I have myself, actually. I think I went in for Calpol one day, couldn't get it. Went to get an antibiotic one day, couldn't get it. What's this all down to? And, and how serious is the shortage? Well, there's no need to panic. Um, but there are, I suppose, various reasons for the shortages you experience. So we have had, obviously, Brexit, COVID, and the war in Ukraine has affected items and manufacturing. But there's a kind of a larger issue when it comes to prescription drugs. So over the last about 15 years, there's been reference pricing of medicines. So that's really where the state is the buyer and the price is negotiated downwards, um, generally downwards. Um, many drugs lost their patent, novel drugs, Lipitor, the blockbuster cholesterol drug used to be made in Cork is a good example of that. Um, and I suppose the ingredient cost has gone up, the input cost has gone up and the price has continually gone down. And even if your packet of tablets costs, we'll say at factory gate, 70 cents, thankfully, the same level of regulatory um, arrangement applies. There's also other issues like, you know, because of the price, single producers then are making a drug and therefore you're dependent on them. And if something happens in that process, you're left without. And then just because of just viability um, of making a drug, they can stop making it. So now, is this actually going to be sort of a permanent change? Is this something that people should just expect? Well, there's certain drugs that will always, there's always a list of shortages. Then there's certain drugs that will die off the list, for want of a better word. And then there will always be shortages. But we have seen greater shortages because of all those factors I mentioned over the last number of years. Um, now, usually we can source an alternative. Usually there's what we call a non-licensed medicine. We're vulnerable in Ireland because we're a small market and we're paying small prices. And if the Dutch are prepared to pay five cent extra a box, well, that's where they'll go. Th that's where they'll go. And I suppose that the concern is that as pharmacists and doctors, we all work together to continue supply. But often it's some of the older, more unique and often extremely cheap drugs 
that go into short supply. And the people who tend to be on those drugs tend to be the more vulnerable people who are on them for phenobarbital, for example, for epilepsy, usually used in older people and people with disabilities who maybe mightn't have as many people shouting for them and there's, there's no market there, so, or there's no drug there to supply that small market. So there's lots of factors here. Um, but ultimately you're saying don't panic. No, you should never from. panic about this because it's, it's a global issue and we'll always find medicines to, to sort out the problem and pharmacists will move the supply around. Um, but there is an issue also when it comes to innovation that, you know, large populations on small amounts of, of, of pricing um, is not what the market wants now. They want rare drugs, blockbuster drugs, rare the diseases, 30,000 a year drugs rather than, right. you know, 30 euro a year. Uh, I just wanted to move on to Pride, Pride Parade this week. Uh, Emmett, 50 years. It started off as, I suppose, a protest, didn't it? Do you think you forget that sometimes? Is the sort of commercialisation of Pride something you're comfortable with? It's certainly become more of an issue. I know speaking to like friends in the community and like, you know, who are concerned about sort of what role commercial partners are playing, because their attitude is, and very understandably, is if a commercial partner wants to be involved in Pride, then it has to show a commitment beyond more just putting on a nice badge and throwing some money at it. They've got to show that within that company, it's part of its values. And I think that's probably why it's small businesses that we're seeing who are involved tend to actually benefit more from it. Like, so I know one uh, internet company in, in Carlo called Black Knight, they've been heavily involved, but they show as part of their day-to-day -day what they do. If you're a Mercedes-Benz, if you're you know, a Chrysler or whatever, that scale of company, when you've got a different you know, Twitter avatar in Ireland because Pride's okay to the Middle East because it's not, that's sending sort of the message of, well, we're okay with you being gay, but we're not okay with them being gay. Now, I don't mean to say that, but that's the attitude taken by a lot of the community. So obviously, when it comes to that sort of commitment to corporate values, mm -hmm. like we're going to be more cynical, obviously, towards the larger the organisation it is. But at the same time, that organisation has to think about, well, like, why are we doing this? If we're going to do this just for people don't hate us, maybe think about exactly what you're going to do to get involved. You don't have to just change your avatar. Maybe you can look at sort of more smaller scale opportunities with the organisations you're working with and not get as big of an out outward play from it. Okay, I want to just move on to the final uh, story that we want to talk about this evening, which is the two most successful CEOs in the world, Mark Zuckerberg and uh, Elon Musk. Got into a cage... Uh, Shane, what can you tell us? Well, it seems the first rule of Fight Club is we do talk about Fight Club. <laughs> uh, Fight Club. Uh, I mean, this is, well, I have to, first of all, Emmett is, is the expert. He's been, uh, he can tell us the, the height and weight of uh, both protagonists. And, uh, yeah, what is it? So there's six th inches between six them, inches Emmett? Six inches between them, about two and a half stone. But Zuckerberg, while being the smaller man, quite skilled at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So he's got the base fundamentals. And I was actually talking to some practitioners earlier today. Okay, so well, why are they getting into a cage in the oh, first so that's place? Pretty, pretty <laughs> it's because they're it. two billionaires who are bored for starters. Yeah, you won't necessarily get in. Basically. Paddy Power have said, have said it, at, like, they said like about, I think 10 to 11, that'll happen before the end of 2025. Uh, but they've also pitched them as the same odds to do it. But essentially, so this uh, isn't a joke because I first did read this headline and thought. Well, as, as people, they are jokes. This is some sort of Twitter conversation uh, where they Essentially, so Musk is kind of worried that Zuckerberg is going to try and create his, net, his new alternative to Twitter, which obviously there's a lot of debate over, are people going to leave Twitter? But if it is, it needs something with a lot of money and a lot of interest behind it. And Zuckerberg has that money. So Musk has challenged Zuckerberg to a fight because he, he knows that Zuckerberg is into BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So I, I hate so to mature. say this, Kate, I hate to say this. 
Boys will always be boys. Billionaires will always be billionaires. At least they're beating each other. Or billionaires will always be billionaires. Blowing something up, or they're not launching rockets. At least it's just themselves they're harming. I think. I mean, it's it's really pathetic. I think. Do you think so? Do you think so? I mean, if they want to do it, I mean, I suppose also what harm? Again, like I mean, look, I feel. Who wouldn't want to see two guys? I think there is potential harm for it because I actually think there will be. You know, young fellas yeah. watching this going, the way you sort out your problems exactly. is to get in and beat the head off somebody. I actually think there's something... I think it's kind a really of, bad example. I think it's a really... Yeah. I think there's something kind yeah. of dangerous about it. It's, it's, so you're it's, not being entering it's, with Gavin Jennings towards anytime soon. Well, you're well, not it lives two doors down it's, for me, it's, so... Uh, it's, it's no, sort of, that's far so. too risky. It's sort of going towards toxic masculinity as a kind of a smell of Andrew Tate off it. It has. It, it has to me. I do appreciate that. I haven't been in a fight since I was 16. Why would you like to see Elon Musk get his block knocked off at the same time? No. No, because we're no. all adults, no. as you are too. All right, look, we've run out of time. That's it from us. But my thanks to all of my guests this evening. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok tonight, BMTV. But from all of the late team here, good night and do take care. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.